series at the first part of March called Vertical Worship. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, we'll start right there out of the King James Version. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. This is one of the most precious scriptures to my heart that I, that I heard many, many years ago from a preacher. I'm not sure who it was, but I remember when I heard this scripture, it really stood out to me how that God has eyes and his eyes are looking throughout the whole earth. Would that not include here? Amen. He's searching throughout the whole earth to, to look for a particular person or persons, those whose heart is perfect towards him. Amen. Now, here's something that we have to understand is this, is that God is not looking for perfect people because if that were the case, he'd be looking a long time, right? But he's looking for those that have a heart towards him, a heart that's bent towards him. Amen. So we brought out the fact that what constitutes, and just a quick review, what constitutes a, a perfect heart in God's sight? Number one, a heart that believes in God. You believe in God? I doubt seriously if you'd be in church today if you didn't believe in God. Are any atheists in here today? <laughs> Amen. Do you know there's no atheists in hell? Do you know that? The Bible says even the devils believe in God and they tremble. There are, those people are more aware of the people that are in hell today. They're more aware of God than anything else because they know what they missed out on. But the Bible says, a fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The evidence of God is all over the place. Everywhere you look, you see evidence. Evidence. Say evidence. You see evidence of God's creation. Just look in the mirror. Just look at your physical body. It's amazing how the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's presence. Our bodies are so unique in how they function and flow in harmony and unison together. Think about your digestive system, how it works. Amen? How you can eat a piece of food and your stomach goes to breaking it apart and digesting it. And think about the human eye. There's no 4K camera. That's the best camera there are in the world, at least today. There's no 4K camera that's better than the human eye. Think about the human brain. And the Bible says we only use a... I mean, people say, scientists have said that we only use a very small portion of our brain. The capacity that's there. Hallelujah, I could go on and on and on. But what constitutes a perfect heart is, first of all, someone that believes in God. And secondly, what constitutes a perfect heart towards God is people that acknowledge Him in all their ways. I want to give you a scripture. You, you probably heard this before, but Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with half of your heart. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to this. <laughs> to your understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge God and He will direct your path. Praise God. So, people that have a heart bent towards God will inquire of God no matter what situation they face. You see, when we face the crisis of life, and all of us face different things in our lives, and sometimes there's heavy trials, sometimes there's light trials, but there's still trials nonetheless. We need to ask ourselves the question when we face adversity in life, what does God's Word say about the situation? Amen? And if we ask that question, we're always going to get an answer from, from the Word of the living God. Amen? And so we, we talked about that for the last few weeks. And Now, last week we began to talk about our, our relationship with the Word of God. Our relationship with the Word of God and how, how that is such an important part of our lives. In fact, I'll say it like this. Everything we know about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost is found in the Word of God. Everything we know about the Holy Spirit is not found out there, it's found in the Word of God. Everything we know about God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is found in the written Word of God. Now, there's a parable, you can go to Mark chapter 4, just go over there. We're not going to go into the, 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 the full scale of what we did last week about this. We're going to pick up where we left off. But Jesus talked about, how many of you have ever heard of the parable of the sower? 
Mark chapter 4, the, the sower soweth the word. Remember that? And Jesus list, listed four types of ground. Now the seed is the word of God. He went out, he was clear about that. He said the seed is the word and the ground is the human spirit or the human heart. Okay? Now I, I like the way he uses that analogy because we understand the concept of seed and ground and how that when you plant a seed it has to be in the ground in order for it to produce whatever that seed is. It could be, you know, a fruit, a vegetable, anything. That seed has to be in the ground for it to produce. All right? Now, if you go to Mark chapter 4, let's pick up in verse 14 where Jesus is explaining to the, his disciples the parable that he just said about the parable of the sower. He said the parable, and then they said, Lord, Teach us. Show us what this means. Give us the full scope and meaning of what this means. And again, we're talking about today our relationship with the Word of God. And I think you'll find this fascinating what Jesus said here in verse 14. In fact, before I, before I read this, let me just make this statement. Do you know the most dangerous people in the earth today to the enemy's kingdom are people, men and women, boys and girls, even kids can have the Word of God inside their heart. The most dangerous people on the earth today are people that have the Word of God in their hearts and in their mouth. Because that's how we defeat the enemy. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word of our testimony. Amen? On every, no matter what he throws at us. In Mark 4 verse 14, Jesus said this, The sower soweth the Word. And these are they by the wayside, that's the first type of ground, where the Word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan comes immediately to take away the Word that was sown in their hearts. And these are likewise they that are sown on stony ground, who when they have, that's the second ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, but so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these that they are sowed among thorns, that's the third ground, such as hear the word. Now notice in all cases they heard the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And then the fourth ground is what we want, verse 20 says, And these are they that are sown on good ground. Say good ground. How many of you want to be good ground? I want to be good ground for God. Hallelujah. Well, we, it's your choice. It's not a matter of God you know, saying that some people are stony ground, some people are thorny ground, and some people are good ground. Really, it's our choice. Amen. The Bible says God's, there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, you know. And God gives us the ability to make that choice to be a vessel of honor, meat ready for the master's use. Now, the seed is the word of God. The ground is the heart of man. Now, let's pick up in uh, verse 14 again, and we'll briefly go over what we shared last week. Okay, this is so important. The sower soweth the word. Now, how many of you know the word of God is seed? Anybody believe that? The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible seed by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Word of God is a spiritual seed, and it has the ability to produce results. And it's called the incorruptible seed. Amen? Now, you know, you can take a natural seed. You can take a corn seed, a, a wheat seed, an apple seed, any type of tomato seed, and you can destroy that seed where it will never produce again. But there's one seed that cannot be destroyed, and that's the Word of God. It's the incorruptible Word of the living God. Hallelujah. Now, in verse 14, or verse 15, it says, And these are they by the wayside where the Word is sown, who when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately to take away the Word that was sown in their hearts. Now, that's Mark's version of this parable. Now, Matthew also talks about the parable of the sower, but he says it a little bit differently. Now, what we brought out last week is, uh, is, is this fact that it's, it's important to, when you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, and the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In other words, they have more of the same stories together where John has some separate stuff, right? But the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so if Mark says it, Matthew's probably going to say it, and Luke's probably going to say it. Just like the, the, the birth of Jesus and the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, they're all in there, okay? But uh, what we see here in the King James and the uh, 
In Mark's translation, it says, these are they by the wayside. Say wayside. Now, that's the first type of ground. He said, who when they've heard, Satan comes when? Immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. Because why has he come to take away the word? Because the word is a threat to him and his kingdom. Now, if you just read Mark's gospel alone, you come to the conclusion that, well, what's the use then? If I hear the word, the devil's going to come and just snatch away the word. So why even hear the word? Now, Matthew says it a little bit differently. So let's go over there real quick in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verses 18 and 19. And this gives a little more light on this particular ground here. Now we're talking about our relationship with the Word of God. Now when I grew up, I went to church. I went to my dead Methodist church. And, I, I, and it really was. It was, it was a mess. Okay. And uh, the pastor there read more out of the Reader's Digest and he, he never even turned to the Word of God. Okay. And it was, I couldn't wait for that service to be over. I mean, it, it was like, at that half an hour, whatever it was, it seemed like three hours to me. You know what I'm saying? Because there was no life there. There's no anointing there. It was just, ugh, just religion. Anybody who grew up in a church like that? Oh, man. And I, years later, when I got into a good Holy Ghost-filled church, you know, where they were preaching the Word of God, I'll tell you, it was like time just flew by because revelation was coming. Light was coming. It wasn't just dead religion. Okay. And Jesus said this, when anyone, verse 18, hear ye the word of the, uh, the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Do you see that in Matthew? There it is. When anyone hears the word and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth the way the word that was sown in their heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now, do you see the difference between Mark and Matthew? Matthew brings out the part that when you hear the Word of God, but you don't understand it, the devil can just take it away. Do you know that you were meant to understand the Word of God? If you hear the Word of God with revelation, you'll never be bored another day in your life. Never. Because, you know, it's like Smith Wigglesworth said one time, you know, who got... 24 people raised from the dead under his ministry. He said, some people read the Bible in Greek and some read it in Hebrew. But he goes, but I read it in the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Spirit of God, when he translates what's being said there, it brings revelation to you. And you understand what's being said. The devil can't steal that word from you. You were meant to understand the Word of God. Now, I've been in some meetings through the years where ministers would use like $50 words, $100 words, and you're like... It sounds all impressive. Sounds great, but I don't know what they're talking about. You ever been there before? <laughs> you know, got initials on the end of their name as long as their arm. But, you know, it's not, it's hard to understand. It's complicated. But, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, was not complicated. Don't you know, he could, he could be if he wanted to. I mean, who's the smartest person in the world? Jesus don't you know he could really impress your socks off if he wanted to? I mean, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a child, right? The kingdom of God is like a farmer who plants a seed. Anybody can understand that. One day the Lord spoke to me many years ago. He says, Keith, notice I didn't say the kingdom of God is like a trigonometry equation. Because that would leave half of us out. <laughs> He says, no, the kingdom of God is like a, a, like a garden, like a seed, praise the Lord. So even a young child can understand that concept. Okay? And so when we read the Word of God, we can ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes when we're reading the Scripture. And I encourage you to do that. I do that all the time. When I read a chapter or a couple of verses, I'll say, Lord, now I've read this Scripture before, but show me something I haven't seen here before. Open my eyes to this. Amen. And I'll tell you, I started doing that. I'd go through Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, and all of a sudden I'm writing down stuff I never even saw before. It was like revelation to me. I made mention of the fact that when I was reading Matthew one time about the genealogies, you know, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. I mean, you ever, you ever you know, when you're reading through the Bible, you want to just skip that part? Yeah. Just go through that? So who cares who's related, right? 
So I, I said, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? What's, why is this in here? He said, Keith, I keep accurate records. I thought, oh, okay, okay. Because, you know, the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus is really important, right? He's called the son of David. Amen. And so, you know, in every chapter, you can get, literally get the Holy Spirit involved because He lives in you. The author of the Bible lives inside. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the author of the Bible happens to live on the inside of you. Now, I've read many books through the years, but I've never had the privilege to know the author personally. But who wrote the Bible? Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Correct? And so... Knowing that, you have inside information. When you read the Word of God, you'll never be bored another. You see, when you get revelation, your days of boredom are over. Amen. Now, when I was younger, the Bible was a dark book to me. I would read it, but it didn't make sense to me. I remember the first time I read Mark chapter 11 about Jesus said, Speak to the mountain. And I, I read that, I thought, what's that, what's that mean? Speak to the mountain, say to the mountain, be removed, be the... I remember when I was a young kid reading that. I didn't understand it. But later on, when I got some revelation... Now, revelation can come two different ways. It can come first and foremost through the Holy Spirit working in your life personally. He can show you something. But here's the second way that I... It's one of the most prominent ways that God gives revelation is through the anointed preaching of the Word of God. Praise God. Many times, I mean, and, and I know, I, I, like Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. And I know that in me, I have nothing to offer anybody. I know that. And so I'm looking to someone greater than me to bring forth revelation, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting like this. Hallelujah. And he never ceases to amaze me that, you know, you start to say something, and, and we call, preachers call it, Rabbit trails. You know, you get off on, you start going in a direction you didn't plan that wasn't in your notes. Okay? And that happens to me almost every week when I minister the Word of God. I'll share something or I'll say something that I wasn't planning on saying. But why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is pulling me in a certain direction in order to minister life to someone that's sitting here. Amen. And that's happened so many times, praise God. And so we never want to take for granted the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, he, without Him, we're nothing. Amen. Okay, so wayside, the way that we can become good ground instead of wayside ground is when we read the Word, we got revelation. The devil can't take that from us. Are you with me? Now let's go to uh, verse um, 16. And it says, And these are likewise they that are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Okay, so they heard the word, they received it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, but so endure for a time. Notice this afterward, when affliction or persecution, those, notice those two things, affliction and persecution, arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Okay, so they heard this, this particular ground right here, stony ground. They heard the word. They received it. They were happy about it. They're like, wow, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. But it says that afterward, when affliction or persecution arose for the word's sake. Say the word's sake. Okay, so, you know, uh, it's kind of like this. Everybody familiar with football? Okay, got a one person. All right, glory to God. <laughs> Group participation here. They always tackle the guy with what? The ball. Because the guy with the ball is a threat. And even if the offense fumbles the ball and the defense picks it up, they're going after that guy. Now, the guy that doesn't have the ball, they're not going after him. And we are carriers of that football, so to speak, okay, that illustration. And we become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. But he says afterward, they've received the word with, with gladness. They're happy about it, you know. But he says afterwards, when affliction or persecution arose for the word's sake, they became offended or off-ended, okay? Now, all of us in this room have the opportunity 
every one of us, because we're in this earth, we have the opportunity to become offended at God or offended at people. But we have to make a choice. I refuse to be offended. Hallelujah. I refuse to become offended. You can be offended at yourself even. Amen. You have expectations about yourself and you're like, man, I should have done better than that. And you get under condemnation. You condemn yourself. God's not even condemning you. Why would you condemn yourself? Huh? <laughs> Say, brother, I feel lower than a snake's belly. You know, I feel horrible. I did this wrong. I, I, I let myself down. I let other people down. Well, get over it, praise the Lord, because God's not condemning you. He's not knocking you. He's there to lift you up. I'll tell you, he's, the, he's your best friend. The Lord's your best friend. I'll tell you, he is there for you. He is with you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? My goodness. Amen. Now this, this second ground, stony ground, we'll just touch on this. That the enemy comes with these two things, persecution and affliction. Now what is, what's the difference? Now persecution has to do with pressure through an individual. Now there's varying degrees of persecution. Okay. Now we see severe cases of that in the, in the Word of God where people you know, gave their lives. They were persecuted for the gospel. I mean, most of the apostles, I think all of them except the apostle John, were beheaded. Okay? But they counted it a privilege that they might receive a better resurrection. Amen? They had revelation about that. They refused deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. But then there's all other forms of persecution where people leave you out. Like friends that you had, so-called friends, you thought they were your good friends. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was saved as a 16-year-old teenager, you know, um, I thought everybody would be excited about my decision. I was like, I got saved, you know. And I, was, I had a lot of zeal but not a whole lot of knowledge, you know. And when I told my parents initially, they thought, what is wrong with you? We, didn't we raise you the right way? Okay. And, I mean, I won't go into detail, but, boy, at, at first it was tough because they thought... We raised you the right way. Did you join some cult or something like that? <laughs> Honest to goodness. I said, no, I got saved. Amen. And, uh, boy, we had some, some massive arguments sometimes, you know, not on my part, but my parents were they because the devil was fighting them. And then eventually they came to the Lord. They saw the light. Amen. And they came into the kingdom of God. And, it, and things changed drastically. But initially, I know even my wife, you know, she went through some heavy persecution. She has seven brothers and sisters and her parents. And, you know, uh, there was some major persecution there. But I, I don't know if I'm just different or whatever. But I just decided, you know, I can't take that personally. Because I had so-called friends that once I got saved, they didn't want anything to do with me. Okay? But, I, I, you know, I just let it roll off me like water off a duck's back. And I'm like, they'll understand someday. Because I was in the same position. I know. I know. But a lot of times people take that, they really take that to heart. Like, I'm being persecuted. You know, I can't handle this pressure. But let me tell you something. If you're accepted by God, that's all you need. Amen. And there, there will be some people that will, will follow you to the very end. They'll say, man, I want what you have, you know. But there will be other people that will resist that. But don't take it personally. Because they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel. Okay? Does that make sense? And so persecution can come in various forms, you know, and, and one, in some heavier degrees than others, you know. But then there's the word affliction. And now what does that mean? That means just outward trouble of any kind. You know, your refrigerator breaks. The car breaks down. You just gave to the gospel and something breaks down. Now you don't have any money left. And then there's this tendency to say, I thought this stuff worked. Okay? But let me tell you something. The devil's not going to just sit back and let you serve God and, and, and follow Jesus without putting pressure, some kind of pressure. He's, he's a liar and he's a thief. Always remember that the devil's a liar and a thief. And in the Garden of Eden, you'll see the very first thing that he said to Adam and Eve was, Hath God said? Do you really think God meant what he said? 
He got them to question and doubt the Word of God. That's exactly the way He is today. He tries to come and say, you know, if you're, you're facing some kind of situation, and you'll get this thought, this impression that says, ah, if God's really, if His Word's really true, then why are you going through this? Why is this happening to you? And so sometimes people have a tendency that when they go through tests and trials to back off the things of God. Quit coming to church. Quit serving God. Don't be as enthusiastic. Just kind of back off a little bit. You know what I mean? That's just pressure from the enemy to get you to push you back. And sometimes that can come in a, through a family member, a friend, a co-worker, that kind of pressure. But just don't give in to it. Like Jesus, one day he preached a sermon, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Pretty, pretty uh, interesting sermon. And it says many of his disciples got up, checked out, and left that day and left his ministry. They said, we can't receive this. This is too hard. And so it's Jesus and the 12 standing there. He says, uh, Jesus turned to him and says, are you going to leave me too? He's asking him a legitimate question. Peter said, no, Lord, you have the words of life. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad they didn't back off? Praise God. Now, Jesus wasn't preaching, he wasn't preaching cannibalism. You know, take a chunk of his arm and eat it. You know what I mean? Bite his ear off. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about being in him, partaking of him. Praise the Lord. And so we can, we can stand against persecution. We can, we can uh, resist affliction and persecution and refuse to become offended. So affliction is outward trouble of any kind. Perse- persecution is trouble uh, through people. Now you might feel, how many here have ever had, you shared something with somebody that was precious to you, maybe some type of a testimony or something, and they didn't quite receive it? Has anybody ever had that happen to you before? And, you know, I've done that, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Nonchalant, you know. But I just refuse. I make a choice. I refuse to give in to this thing. Have I been afflicted at times? Yeah. But I just refuse to back down. I refuse to quit. One thing about Brother Keith is I'm not a quitter. And I don't care what, what comes against me because... What I'm standing for is much bigger than me. Who I'm standing with is much bigger than me. And the Lord can help me. Now go over to, real quick, to uh, 2 Timothy. Look at this scripture in 2 Timothy 3. Now, when it comes to persecution, I think the Apostle Paul stands at the top of the list. Wouldn't you you say so? And he, he was previously an enemy to the cross. He was Saul of Tarsus. He persecuted the church. He had Stephen killed. And he was, he was a chief persecutor of the church prior to his uh, conversion. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, Paul lists some things, and I'll just uh, refer to it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talked about, some of the stuff he went through, not, it wasn't an exhaustive list, but I mean to tell you, he says, he goes, I was beaten with rods, I was shipwrecked, I, I was last, I was uh, stripes, many stripes, in prison, shipwrecked, snake bitten, and all these different things. And yet Paul stands up and says, we're more than conquerors. <laughs> now you list, you see the... the the list of things that he went through, you know, and it sounds like a country song. <laughs> lost my dog, lost my truck. <laughs> I mean, he, he went through a whole lot of stuff, you know. But the revelation of Jesus that he had was far greater than the, the outward pressure that he went through. Now we see something about this in Second Timothy. He writes right here in verse 10, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, and long-suffering, and charity with patience. Now look at verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions. See that too, those two words that we read in Mark? Which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. He didn't give any, endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now look look at verse 12. He says, Yea, or yes, all they that will live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer 
persecution. So uh, if we're going to live a godly life, there will be some people that won't be happy about that. I went into detail about that last week. Now what I want to do is pick up in conclusion here today. In Mark chapter 4, we want to talk about the thorny ground. And that's what I want to cover in the time left that we have here today. Okay, Thorny ground. In verse 18 it says, that's Mark 4, 18. These are they that are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Say thorny ground. Now this is the third type of ground here. Now I think it's important as we read this, that the Lord has given us understanding how that we don't have to yield to that. I don't have to be wayside. I don't have to be stony ground. I don't, I don't have to be thorny ground. I, I can be good ground. Okay? Now notice, he said, these are people that they hear the word. Now all of them heard the word. But he says, the cares of this world. Notice that phrase, the cares of this world. Enter in and choke the word. Now, what do, we, what do we mean by cares? What do we mean by this? What does this mean? This means worries, anxiety. Amen? Hallelujah. Let me tell you, there's a better cure for your cares than just popping a pill. Say, brother, I need that nerve pill. You ever hear people say, I just need that nerve pill. Give me that pill. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not knocking medicine, okay? You understand what I'm saying? But I've known people through the year, they get under pressure. Give me one of those pills. Okay? There's a better way to deal with these things because the cares of this life, the worries, the anxieties of this life, and I, that's what I want to talk about here today. I believe the Lord wants to administer grace to us in this area today because all of us know in this room what it's like to be worried about something. Has anybody here ever worried about anything before? You worry about your, your body, you worry about your family, you worry about your future, worry about your not having enough money. Anybody here been in that situation? All right, thank you. Now, Jesus said that the cares of this world, the purpose of them is to choke the word of God. Now, with that thought in mind, I want you to go over here and we'll probably... We'll probably just land here today and we'll. First Peter chapter 5. And this is so important here. What do you do with worries? What do you do with your cares? What do you do with anxiety? Okay? People have panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I know what that feels like. Been there, done that, don't like it. But I found a better way. Found a better way, hallelujah, to deal with the cares of this world. Praise God. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. There we go. Now, notice the scripture up here. Now, Peter was one of the apostles. He was closest, one of the closest out of the Peter, James, and John were the three closest apostles to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had firsthand revelation and understanding of these things. And he says in his letter to us, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Now in verse 6, it's really interesting. It says, humble yourselves. Now notice that phrase, humble yourselves. It doesn't say that God will humble you. It says we have to humble ourselves. Under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt us in due time. Now, James says it like this. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That's the same thing. Okay? Now, if you're like me, I read this, I'll say, okay, so if I humble myself under God's hand, He's going to exalt me. And He's not opposed to you or me being exalted. He just wants to do the exalting. Amen? So, I'm, 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 I think like this. And years ago, I said, okay, if I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, then first thing I ask is, how do I do that? 
How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? The next verse actually gives you the answer. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now remember, the, the New Testament was not written in chapter and verse. It was, that was given by the translators for easy reference. It was a letter. So we could read it like this. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Hallelujah. Casting how much of your care? All of your care. Amen? Now, I came from a family of world champion warriors. I don't know about you, but I did. And, and my, my mom, now she's not like that now. She, God's changed her and revolutionized her. But I'll tell you, she worried about, when I grew up, she worried about everything. Worry, worry, worry. And you know, fear and worry is a learned behavior. As a child, you learn that, right? Now, none of us came from a perfect household. Let's just face the facts. None of us did. There are deficiencies in every single family. And the Lord is what makes up the difference, okay? And so I had to, one of the biggest things I had to learn was not to worry about things, not to worry about my future. I got to the point one time when I was in Bible school, I started developing an ulcer because I was worried about my future. Okay? That's kind of dumb. I'm going in the ministry, I'm in, in college, and I'm worried about my future. How, how bright is that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not very bright, my point. But he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your cares upon him for he careth for you. Now the word casting in verse 7 is the same word that's used when the fishermen went out and they cast their nets for the fish. And it wasn't just like a, a they take a net and just kind of toss it like that. They would take those nets and hurl them as hard as they could. They wanted to get some distance on those, those nets so that the nets would land perfectly in order to catch fish. This is the same word right here that's used that we are to cast all of our cares upon him because he careth for us. Now the word careth for us means because he loves us. And you can look that up in other translations of this, this verse right here. We cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us he, because He loves us. Praise God. It's a, it is literally possible to live every single day of your life from this day, March 31st onward, to live every single day with not yielding to worry or fear ever again. Is it possible? Absolutely. Casting the, the Amplified says, casting the whole of your cares. All of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of your concerns, because he cares about you affectionately and over you watchfully. He's, he's emotional about You know God's affectionate towards you? Holy Ghost started dealing with me a couple of weeks ago about receiving his affection. God's just not stone-faced, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love you, serve me, do better next time. That's what religion tries to teach God's, you know, just rules, do's and don'ts. But let me tell you something. Jesus was affectionate. I know people that have gone to heaven and come back. And I say that his, his, he is not stone-faced. There is so much compassion and so much love in him. That's why people never want to come back to the earth. When you experience the love of God firsthand and you get in his presence and you see how much he cares for you, the last thing you want to do is come back to planet earth. But the good thing is, is we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to figure that out. We can, we can experience the love of God right now. See, the reason God doesn't want you to worry anymore is because He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Some of you heard this illustration before, but maybe you haven't. But years ago, I was watching the Travel Channel. You know how on your television you've got like 600 stations and only there's maybe one that's watchable? <laughs> and, I, and I was watching, now there's probably 1,200, 1,300 stations, you know. And I was watching the Travel Channel, 
And I just happened to catch something that was kind of interesting because there is a little town outside of Phoenix, Arizona called Carefree, Arizona. I don't know if you ever heard that before. It's called, it's, it's there. Look on the map. Carefree, Arizona. And there was a guy that had a one-engine plane that lived in Carefree, Arizona. He had his own little one-engine plane. And so I don't know how he came up with this, but he put out a plea for people to uh, to write into the, him to, to send them his care, their cares and their worries and their anxieties. And so thousands of people, I saw it. He had like a Santa sack, you know what I'm saying? That he would take like, like Santa Claus, you know what I mean? But it was full of people that wrote down things. This is my care. This is my, from all over the country would write to him and he would take it up and fly over Carefree, Arizona and he would dump them out over the city. <laughs> And I guess people believed that that would somehow take care of, some magically take care of their problems. I, wa- I saw it with my own eyes. I watched this, okay? You can probably find it on YouTube, you know? This is probably 25 years ago I saw this, you know? And I thought, isn't that something? You know, people literally believed that if they wrote their cares to him, that he could take and fly over care for years. Folks, the, the only thing that happened was he littered the town. All this paper coming down, you know what I'm saying? And I thought about that, and the Lord, the Lord was talking to me through that. He says, aren't you glad that you don't have to send your prayer request and your concerns and your worries to somebody in Arizona that's a human being that has no ability to fix your situation? He goes, but you can cast your cares upon me, and I'll take those cares, and I'll do something for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Casting all of your cares. So how do you... How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? You cast your cares on the Lord. Now, in conclusion here, look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, if you read that verse alone, you'll get the impression that the devil is a roaring lion. He's just walking about, ha, just ready to pounce on you. Okay? He's just lurking around the corner like a lion, ready to pounce. And that, if you read that verse alone, it kind of gives that impression. But here's the thing. It says that he walks about seeking someone he can devour, which means he cannot just devour anybody he wants. He's seeking people that he can devour. And I submit this to you in in connection with what we just read. The devil cannot devour Christians if their cares are cast upon the Lord. How does he devour you and me? When we're full of anxiety, full of worry. I mean, you look at Job, for example. How many of you know Job went through some stuff? Looks like Job, you know what I mean? But Job went through some stuff that, without going into great detail, I mean, he lost a lot. He lost a lot. But if you look at Job chapter 3, verse 25, it says, gives us a clue of why he went through what he went through. He says, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which was, I was afraid of has come unto me. And Job went through some stuff. But he said, I was highly developed in fear. He said, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. Now what happened was, is he had some sons and daughters, you know, and, and he, started to, he started to freak out and started to panic that maybe they backslid, maybe they turned against God, you know. So Job would make sacrifices every single day. He said, it may be that my sons and my daughters have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He made sacrifices. Now there's nothing wrong with a sacrifice But the motive behind it was fear-based. Fear-based. Okay? How many of you know you never worried your kids into the kingdom of God? You never worried your body into good health. Amen? You never worried more money into your bank account. Because fear and worry are opposites of faith. They're meant to rob from you. Now all of us can feel fear. Now this is really important. You can feel fear come against your mind, but that doesn't mean that you're yielding to it. I mean, folks, you can stand there and your knees can be knocking together, having fellowship with one another because of fear. 
And you can still stand there in the midst of fear and say, I refuse to fear. I refuse to be upset in Jesus' name. Amen. Many, many years ago, in fact, it was, uh, to be exact, it was 1984. Uh, I got a letter from the IRS. And uh, we had just moved to, to the state of Texas that I made a mistake on my taxes and I owed them something like $10,000. Now, back then, that was like my, my entire year salary. Okay? And it had, you know, the letter came, and it was the insignia. You know, I mean, someone said, if the devil can't scare you, the IRS will. You know? Some of you heard this testimony. But, but I'll tell you, I started, man, it started eating my lunch. I'm like, whoa. And I just, we just were in the fresh, new in the ministry or assistant pastors in a church in Texas. In Colleen, Texas. And, um, and I mean to tell you that, and, and here's the thing. If you don't pay them, they start adding interest and compounding interest. that They can seize your bank account and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, it started, it, started, it started eating at me day and night. I couldn't get off. This thing was just bothering me. You know, they said I messed up on my taxes somehow, you know. And I thought, man, you know. So, long story short, this went on for several weeks, yay, months, and, uh, and it, was not, it wasn't getting any better. It was compounding. It was getting worse. I started owing more, you know, and I didn't have one dollar to even give to them over this situation. And I was, I was driving down Interstate 35 one day and run right through the heart of the town there, and the Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, if you saw, here's what he said to me. He said, if you saw things from my viewpoint, things won't look so bad after all. Now, I didn't hear it with these ears here, but I heard it in here, like you hear the Lord too. So I pulled over the side of the road. Cars are you know, from this highway. I said, Lord, speak that to me again. He said, if you saw things from my vantage point, things won't look so bad after all. And when he said that to me, I could see, almost, I could almost hear a smile on his face. Like, you know, you can hear God smile. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, don't sweat it. It's okay. All right, so fast forward a little bit here. I, I, I finally said, okay, Lord, I, I, all right, I, I cast the care of this on you right now. Boy, it was tough. It was rough. And I, I knew what the Word said, casting all your cares, right? First Peter 5, 7, casting your cares. Now, uh, I, had, I had insufficient understanding, obviously. I didn't know certain things, but the Lord knew everything. And, but he did say this. All he said was, if you saw this from my viewpoint, it wouldn't look so bad after all. So, now, I didn't get there overnight. But I eventually completely gave that to the Lord. Because I'd be going along and all of a sudden, bam, the thought would come into my head again. You'll you know, start to worry about this. Maybe you had, maybe something different in your life happened like that. Some kind of worry, some kind of fear, you know. It's, it's all relative. And I finally gave that thing to the Lord. Now, we ended up moving back to Pittsburgh to start our first church in 1986. So we came back and this thing has still been unresolved. It was unresolved. It hadn't been taken care of. I was getting letters every month coming in, threatening letters from the IRS, you know. And um, one day I got another letter in the mail and it was from the IRS. I thought, oh, here we go again. This time I opened it up and they said, Mr. Eggett, we wanted to inform you that uh, our records indicate that we have made a mistake and you don't owe us anything. In fact, we owe you money. Now, I think it was like 30 bucks, but it sure beats, <laughs> it sure beats owing uh, $10,000 plus interest. Man. But I'll tell you, that, that, that thing put me under the most pressure. I'm telling you, it was horrible. It was, oh, the pressure was on me, you know. And I, I mean, I'm trying to serve God, do the ministry. And I'm still dealing with this pressure, you know. And, and I just, I literally felt overwhelmed. You know what that's like. I was overwhelmed by this. But yet, I'll leave you with this. Yet in the midst of that mess, the Holy Ghost spoke something to me. That, that it was the truth and a good outcome. And he was trying to get me to say, you don't have to worry about this. Now, what if Jesus showed up in the room today in the flesh and appeared to you and said, from this moment forward, you don't have to worry about anything else in your life again, ever. 
and he disappeared. How would that affect you? You'd be like, oh, yeah. Bring it on, man. And see, see what the devil wants you to do is he wants you to be thinking about that child. You know, he, want, he wants you to be worrying about your finances. He wants you to be worrying about your future. He wants you to be worried about your body. Amen? I, I, I make a choice. When I was hit with that physical thing recently, I said, I choose not to fear. I choose not to be afraid. Hallelujah. And I have absolute total peace. Complete peace. Because I'm in the hands of God. It's going to work out. The weapon might have been formed, but it won't prosper. You might feel the effects of things coming against you, right? You might feel it, but that doesn't mean that you've succumbed to it, that you're going to fail, and you're going under. I wanted to share that with you today because the Lord, wanted, I believe, wants to express today to you how much He loves you and how much He cares for you. Jesus is an affectionate Jesus, and, and He loves you. Do you know you were created for affection? Amen? I know when I had, I've mentioned this before, but even, even when I had my little doggy, he's in heaven now with Jesus, you know. It wasn't a day that, there wasn't one day that went by that I wasn't on the floor with him just more than once, loving on him, kissing on him, just, just I just, oh, I just like him. You know what I'm saying? And one of these days we'll get another one. Hallelujah. And, uh, but it, it, it did something for me. How many know what I'm talking about? Whether, whether it's a goldfish, a cat, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you can't get on the floor with a goldfish. But Well, guess who created those animals? God created them for your pleasure. He created. They're not created to be worshipped, but they're created for your pleasure. God gave you those, those animals. And, and, uh, and, and, and by the way, if you lost an animal, a, a pet, it's in heaven waiting for you. I don't have time to go into detail right now, but I can guarantee you, you didn't lose them. They're there waiting for you. Maybe sometime I'll share that, some, some testimonies about that. But let me tell you something. If it was important to you, it's important to God. And little Fluffy's up there waiting for you. I guarantee it. There is no loss in the things of God. You don't lose. The Bible says God even knows when one sparrow falls to the ground. Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed for a minute here. Praise the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And the Lord wanted, I believe, wanted to express today just how much He loves you, how much He cares for you. And how important you really are to Him. Now maybe you never felt that way with other people in the earth. But, but let me tell you something. God loves you so much. He cares for you so much. And so much so. That if you were the only human being on this earth. He still would have sent. God would have sent His Son. Just to die for you. Because He loves you that much. And He does. He cares for you. He loves you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Now this is just between you and the Lord today. I, I came to a place in my life when I was 16 years old, which was in 1976, where somebody in, in, a, in a very similar situation presented to me the love of God. I didn't want to reject that. I wanted to receive that. Now, you know, regardless of our political persuasion, Everybody knows who the president is, okay? Whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent, it doesn't matter. Everybody here in this room knows who the president is. But yet, how many people know him personally? Everybody knows about God. They know about Jesus. But the way that you get to know God personally is by accepting his son. It's just that simple. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is receive it. Receive. Now, if, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never, I've gone to church, I've, I've gone the religious way, but I, I don't know for sure that I've ever said, Jesus, come into my heart. Today can be your, the most blessed day you ever had in your life. 
Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come up front. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. This is just between you and God. Okay? But if, you've, if, you, if you're not sure whether or not you're a child of God, but you want to be, you want to have that assurance in your heart where God's close to you. You want to be closer to Him. Real quickly, just slip your hand up and let it right back down. Just real quick. I'm the only one that's looking around. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. The smartest choice you will ever make, I guarantee you. The most, don't put this off. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in this life. There's no, no decision that's more important than this. To say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Would you raise your hand if you've never done that? Okay. Let's do this together. All right. Let's pray all together as a congregation. Say, dear God. I believe believe that you sent Jesus, Jesus. your son, son. to die just for me. me. I invite him him to come into my heart heart. and to forgive me of every sin sin. in Jesus' name. I believe believe. you're the son of God and I receive you today and I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to I want to just put the stamp of approval on. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, a miracle. I believe some of you prayed that for the very first time today. A miracle took place in your life. Jesus is your Lord. He lives inside you. And you will never, ever be the same again. Amen. Now, let's go, in, let's go into this week with... With our cares, what what has now? All of you have different situations, you know, but you know more than anything else what the thing that tries to dog you, to mess with you, to get you upset, you know. And but if you give that care to the Lord, then He has it. He has it. My earthly dad was on the earth when he was alive. He had gifts and talents I'd never had. He was a fix-it man. He could fix anything. He could fix engines. He could fix small engines. He could fix... Now, it may not look real pretty when it's done, but it's fixed, you know. <laughs> we laugh about that sometimes. But when I, was, when I was growing up as a child, you know, I would have some toys and stuff like that, you know, that would break occasionally. I was a little rough on my bikes and stuff like that, you know. And, but I'd be quick when Daddy would come home. He was a policeman, too. He was a city policeman. But he had this talent of fixing things, and people would bring things to him. It looked like a junkyard sometimes, our yard, because people would be bringing all this stuff, and he'd fix it, you know. And he just had a real knack for that. So when I, when I was younger, if something broke, I was confident that if I just brought it to Daddy, my dad could take care of it. He would fix it, whatever it was. Okay? How much more our Heavenly Father, who knows how to fix broken relationships who knows how to fix brokenness in our lives. He can put the pieces of the puzzle back in in your life together better than any human being could ever do that. Amen. So I just want to leave you with that and admonish you and encourage you to just release your cares. Now, take your cares, like just hold it like your hand out like this. This will be the last thing we do today. Picture those cares and worries in your hands right now, okay? Whatever they are. And now lift your hands up and picture the Lord. God gives you an imagination. Now the Lord, we, Lord, we cast these cares. We cast them on you right now. We give them to you. Now Lord, you take them and you fix them. And now Lord, we're not going to live another day of worry, fear, anxiety. Our cares are in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, what do you do, Pastor, if you have done what I know to do? I've given my care to the Lord. And you're going along, you know, like tomorrow, Monday, maybe later today even. And all of a sudden, this thought comes to your mind like, uh, what are you going to do about that situation? You just speak out loud and you say, hey, devil, I don't have the care. My father has the care. So you talk to him about it because I don't have it anymore. I refuse to take that care. 
Amen. See, it's those, it's those that live in the earth that will live victorious lives that know how to cast their cares upon the Lord. Great victory belongs to men and women that release their cares into the hands of God, for that's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. It says that. So be quick to give those cares, whatever they are that come to you. If you've you got a family care, a son or a daughter or something like that, or whatever the case is, give that care to the Lord. He's able to work it out. He's able to fix it. Amen.